The Water Values Podcast, Session 44. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to 2015 and to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey. Thank you so much for listening. While downloads were down over the holidays due to a podcasting break, we still had a bunch of downloads and on surprising days too, like a bunch on Christmas Day. You guys amaze me and I just want you to know that you're very appreciated. Well, I got a great email from one of you, but I'm going to have to share that on a future podcast. We don't have time today to get into that because I wanted to bring you the full interview with Mayor Ed Pawlowski of Allentown, Pennsylvania. Mayor Pawlowski discusses in detail a number of issues surrounding the landmark P3 agreement Allentown entered into for its water and sewer utilities. For the chief executive of a municipality to understand the P3 arrangement in as much detail as he does, it's very impressive, and I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to the mayor talk about why and how Allentown decided to enter into a P3 for its water and sewer utilities. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Mayor Pulaski, thanks very much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Greatly appreciate your time. Uh, to start off, could you tell us a little about yourself and about Allentown, Pennsylvania in general? Well, I, I'm a mayor in my third term. I just got reelected uh, to my third term as mayor. Uh, I've been mayor since 2006, uh, seen uh, a lot of changes here in the city. Uh, when we first came into office, uh, the city was in real dire shape. Uh, we were, were literally on the brink of bankruptcy. We would have been another Detroit, another statistic of a failed Rust Belt city. Um, but we've, we've been able to turn things around here. Uh, we've, we've gone from multi-million dollar deficits. We now have multi-million dollar surpluses. We've been able to solve our pension problem. I think we're the only one in the state, maybe one of the few, if not the only one in the country, uh, that now is a fully funded pension of a uh, mid-sized city. Um, our employment rate uh, is, is, unemployment rate is down about four points. We have about 4,000 new jobs coming to our urban core a billion dollars worth of new development, and the city um, uh, is now the fastest growing city in the state, and we, we haven't raised property tax for the last 10 years. Uh, so we've we've taken a scenario where the city was really on the brink of uh, disaster, uh, financial disaster, and turned it around and made it a positive where we're now looked at as, as a, a model for other cities across the country. Okay, and, and so how, how did you turn that around? How did you come up with a solution to turn that lemon and make it into this lo- great lemonade? Well, there was a number of steps. Um, and it started back in, in 2006. And we, we, when I first came into office, we, we had a huge deficit. Uh, I was handed a budget that had uh, double-digit deficits uh, built into it. We had to restructure the entire budget. We had to look at ways to... Uh, eliminate costs dramatically and bring in new revenue sources. And so we looked at all the traditional means across the way. We, we looked at reducing our workforce, uh, and we have. We've reduced about 20% of our workforce through attrition. Uh, we've looked at our, our contracts and how we were able to renegotiate our contracts. Um, and we looked at, um, uh, you know, other ways to bring in a, additional revenue. And we've been very creative along the way. Um, uh, we 
Uh, we're the only city uh, to partner with our sister city, Bethlehem, which is right to the east of us. Uh, we were able to work out a revenue sharing deal. We're the only one in the state uh, that was able to do that uh, on, on a casino. Uh, we were both buying for a casino uh, in our municipality, and that meant some significant dollars. Uh, and uh, we, we both agreed that whoever lost uh, would still get a portion of the revenue. And so we get about 20% of that revenue for perpetuity. Uh, even though we didn't get the casino, which in hindsight was probably the best thing. Um, but, you know, we, we, we were able to collaborate on a regional level, uh, look for ways to, to cut costs, and uh, look at, at where our big, biggest, you know, cost centers were that were affecting and crippling us as a city. And those were our long-term labor contracts, our crippling pension costs uh, due to early retirements that I had. When I walk into office back in 2006, I had two-thirds of my entire police force retire that day, um, over 50% of my fire department. Uh, and then, of course, in between there, we had the recession that hit in 2008, obviously increased health care costs, decreases in revenue. The stock market plunge resulted in even higher uh, losses on our investments in our pension fund. And, you know, we were in a pretty dire dire position at that particular point in time. In fact, our pension costs, if we had done nothing, would have consumed 30-plus percent of our entire city's budget. Uh, our unfunded pension liability for fire and police plans was, was really forcing the city's mandatory contribution into these plans, which in Pennsylvania is called the MMO, the minimum municipal obligation, to rise at this astronomical rate. And you combine that with uh, a pension bond that the city had taken out uh, earlier, uh, which adds another $2.4 million onto that NMO, and we would have had to have a dramatic increase in revenue to fill that pension gap. Um, and the revenue increase would have been somewhere between 100 to 150% tax increase. Now, we couldn't do that, obviously. Um, our residents uh, wouldn't have been able to bear that. Uh, our businesses wouldn't have been able to bear that. We would have had, you know, the middle class and those who had the means to move out of the city would move out in droves. Um, so we had to look for alternatives. Um, but just to give you a sense of, of, of the pension costs and how they've risen, when, when I came in, uh, in in 2006, it was $7 million. Um, by 2011, it was $15.5 million. Oh, and that was even that was even with a, a, a thing called Act 44, a bill that the state legislature passed, to allow us to only pay 75% of our NMO because of the, the, the way the stock market had reacted uh, during the recession. So that was still only a 75% pay. This year, it would have been up to $28 million in our MMO if we had done nothing to address this overburdensome pension cost that we had. And just to give you a sense of where we're at, $29 million is the total amount of real estate tax that we collect. Oh, geez. Holy mackerel. So the entire amount of real estate tax collections were brought just to pay the minimal obligation on our pension. That wasn't even, you know, paying off the unfunded liability. That was just like the minimal payment on a credit card. So we, we looked at how do we restructure these things, and, and, I, and I, we attacked it almost, to use medical terms, you know, in really two phases. First off, you know, we had to, we had to stop the hemorrhaging, and then we had to attack the tumor that was killing us. And so the hemorrhaging part was with our contracts. Our contracts were, were that were negotiated in the past through binding arbitration agreements were 
were so generous uh, to the point that it was literally draining the financial resources in the city at an astronomical rate. In fact, if you, if you look at the cumulative impact between 2006 and just 2011, we spent an additional $35.4 million just to pay the minimal obligation. We could have done a lot with 35.4. A lot of roads, you know. We yeah. rebuilt, rebuilt a lot of bridges, um, but you know, with all of this being sucked into the pension costs. So we had scenarios like in, in our police contract, um, they could buy back four years. They got an additional three years if they were in the military. So they 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 could be 12 years on the force, retire with a 20 year pension, uh, you know, with full health care benefit and the ability to pass on to surviving spouse. Um, they also had a scenario where, where they got, uh, you know, 100% of their overtime went into their pension calculation, and their pension calculation was based on their last 30 days. So all they had to do was, you know, work like a dog for 30 days and, and bolster their pensions up. So I had guys retiring at 38, 39 years of age, anywhere between 90 and 100 and $110,000 a year for the rest of their life, which I told folks in the community, you know, that Pennsylvania has a win for life lottery ticket that's fifty thousand dollars a year so that was better than, than winning <laughs> the win for life lottery yeah um and so we had to restructure this we did we took a very uh, aggressive stance we worked with the unions uh we worked through the arbitration process we were able to get uh, to work with the auditor general's office uh on some of these illegal provisions that were put into the contract we eliminated them we, we got back to uh, a, a contract that i believe is fair uh, for both our, our, our employees and, and city and, and its residents. Uh, and then we, so that was the, the, the hemorrhaging part. So we stopped the hemorrhaging, and then we had to address the And so we looked at a number of ways uh, to to really sort of, uh, you know, crack that nut, if you will. And we looked at raising property taxes, which I talked about. There was That was really off the table. There was no way that, that our that our citizens were going to absorb 100 to 150 percent tax increase, especially when we were one of the highest taxed municipalities in the region. Um, we looked at issuing pension bonds, but we realized early on that that really was not solving the problem. It was only pushing off the inevitable. Uh, we looked at leasing our parking, but at that point in time, we weren't seeing the development that we're seeing today uh, in our downtown. And so uh, the assets, the parking were not really worth enough. We valued it about 30 to 40 million, not enough to really make a significant impact uh, on, on the pension debt. We had a municipal golf course. Uh, we looked at selling or leasing that. Uh, again, that didn't bring up uh, us enough revenue. Plus, we had, you know, the number of folks with some fairly significant, you know, properties around the golf course on our far west end of our city, which I'm sure would have all filed lawsuits if we tried to do that. Uh, we would have been tied up for many years, uh, I think, in court. Uh, and then we looked at our other assets, and we looked at ways that we could monetize the assets that we had to see if there was any way that we could generate enough revenue to be able to pay off uh, that unfunded pension liability. And one of the things that quickly you know, became noticeable to us was that we had this huge, huge asset in our water and sewer system. Now, uh, under state law, um, even though the water and sewer system was was uh, uh, generating some significant dollars, uh, we weren't able to, to utilize those dollars to, to really affect the thing that was killing us, which was our pension. Um, and so we, we looked for ways to 
try to figure out if we could use the assets that we had and the the uh, financial power that we had really it was trapped uh, through a modernization the t3 scenario to be able to release those 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 assets in, in a way that would generate enough revenue for us to pay off our unfunded liability thus lowering our MMO significantly so um, we Option. We realized that the asset had some significant um, advantages to, to looking at and monetizing that particular facility that the city had. And so we started exploring this. And we, we realized that we wanted to, to lease, not, not sell. Uh, I didn't want to give up the asset because I think it is a valuable asset for the city. Uh, if we were going to lease it and get significant revenue, we needed a long-term lease scenario. Uh, the city then some really proven and experienced utility providers um, that were really chosen through a very highly competitive process. We provided. Yeah, Mayor, can you talk? To, yeah, could you talk a little about that procurement process? I mean, how did how did you how did you go through that? Was was there like a request for uh, qualifications, and then you moved on to the uh, to the like RFP process? Or how, tell me a little about about that process of how you how you selected a a, a P three partner. We did, a, we did it sort of in reverse. I mean, many folks go out and they say, we have this asset, we want to do a P3. Uh, we will bring in a partner to, to work on us to do this P3. We said, no, we know we have this asset. We know that it could bring us some significant revenue. It could lower our, our overall MMO cost dramatically. Uh, but what we did is we, we actually wrote the lease first. This is something that I don't think was ever done before anywhere across the country. We looked at a number of P3s, from parking to, to water and sewer, uh, to other city assets uh, that were that were put into P3s across the country, we looked at at what was successful, what wasn't successful, and we realized that that to really be successful, you had to sort of outline the parameters and also be able to to demonstrate to the potential bidders that there was political will to to make this deal a reality. And so we first outlined the concept parameters. And as I, as I said just recently, we, some of the parameters were we, we didn't want to transfer title or the assets. Uh, we wanted to lease the, the assets in long terms. Uh, we realized we had to go long term, so we, we looked at a, a 30, 40, and 50-year lease scenario. We ended up with a 50-year lease scenario because that was uh, the, the term of the lease that was most advantageous for us to be able to generate the most revenue uh, for the city. Uh, we anticipated all our existing labor agreements would remain in force, that we wouldn't we, we didn't want anybody to lose a job who was currently employed uh, with the city that was important to uh, myself and to other city council members. Uh, we didn't want to be liable for future operating or capital costs um, as we went forward. We, we also realized that if we did this transaction, we had to retire about $30 million of water and sewer debt. Uh, and we wanted to revenue share if, if the new entity went out and procured new customers in the surrounding suburbs to sell water since we had significant watershed, we wanted to make sure that we were able to, to get some of the benefits um, uh, of, of those water sales. And so all that was put into a lease concession agreement. And what we did through the procurement process, we first issued an RFQ. So we pre-qualified the bidders. Um, and we had major water and sewer operating utilities uh, from across the country come in. I think we had about 30 applications. We narrowed it down to about nine. Um, and then we took it to city council. Um, we we took the parameters of the lease that we had, and we said to city council, 
we want you to uh, approve this. Before we actually put it out for bid, we have a number of qualified bidders. Um, they have the capabilities, they have the financial capabilities, they have the operational capabilities. Um, but before we put this out, we want them to know that you're going to be behind us uh, in if we execute and move forward with this P3. So we said, here are the parameters of the lease. These are all things that, that, that uh, um, you all as city council uh, wanted to see in, in the lease process. We brought city council into those discussions as we were formulating uh, those uh, those procurement parameters, um, and we had to vote on it. And you know, there was some pretty contentious discussions and pretty vigorous debates. But at the end of the day, it was six one vote, overwhelmingly in support of of the lease and putting it out to bid. That gave the potential bidders some real confidence that the city had the political will uh, to move forward with this transaction. Uh, we put it out for bid. Um, well, let me back up. Actually, what we did first then is after the city council approved the lease, we went back to those uh, potential qualified bidders and said, here's the lease. You give us your comments on it. Tell us what you like about it. Tell us what you don't like about it. If you know, there's comments that you may have that we may want to incorporate into the final lease, there's other comments that you may have that we may say we're, we're, we're not going to be able to get there. Everybody had a chance to, to really have direct input, and this went on for almost – uh, four months, where we had our team uh, and the teams that were that were represented by each of these potential bidders that were selected through the RFQ process, come in, comment on the lease, give us ideas, give us feedback. Uh, we ended up taking you know 95% of our, our original lease was there. We incorporated about 5% of the comments, uh, and then we put it out to bid. And quite honestly, I had no idea who was going to bid um, on this potential lease. Uh, we ended up having uh, five bidders, uh, four national companies, and uh, the county authority, uh, which, by the way, 10 years ago had approached us about regionalizing the system, and they, they actually wanted to, to, to give us $10 million at that point for the system, <laughs> which I, I looked at them, and I smiled, and I laughed, and I said, you know, I, I, I am Pulaski, and I am Polish. It doesn't mean I'm dumb. <laughs> I know it's worth more than $10 million. Uh, Ended up, at the end of the day, we, we got down to uh, a best and final offer process, a baffle process. We said if anybody came within 10% of each other, they would then submit a final bid. Uh, and no one would know what that bid is. Uh, I stayed out of that process. City Council stayed out of that process. We hired uh, a very good uh, FA, which was public financial management, a very well-respected firm nationally. Our city controller was involved in it. They actually went to our capital city, Harrisburg, and, and opened up the bids. I didn't want to have anything to do with it they, this, to, to really keep purity to the process so that the bidders knew that we weren't going to inject politics into, into this. It was going to be strictly done on the basis and the quality of the number that they submitted in that bid. Um, it ended up between American Water and uh, the county authority. They got through a baffle process, and we ended up getting $20 million extra out of that baffle process and $220 million total uh, for the system. Uh, the county was the high bidder. Um, I was not expecting that, <laughs> uh, but they, 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 they obviously saw the value of, of looking at a regionalized system. So in the end, it actually became a, a public, the public transaction. Um, but it went through this very vigorous P3 process, and we ended up taking that $220 million, paying off our $30 million in water and sewer, 
uh, $20 million of pension bond debt and putting $150 million into our pension fund, which lowered my NMO costs in this year from basically $28 million to $2. Wow. Uh, and, and dramatically changed the financial picture for the city for many, many years to come. So it, 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 I think it's a real example of, of if you engage and involve uh, city council from the get-go, if you have a very detailed process where you're selecting the most qualified bidders and you, to the, you know, <laughs> as best as you can, try to make it as a professional process, trying to take politics uh, out of the, uh, the, the, the P3 process. So you're really dealing on a professional level and, 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 and indicating to the potential bidders that you're going to deal in that way on a professional level. You're going to get quality um, uh, bids. Uh, that the city does not have to give up all its control and authority, but still be able to have uh, a scenario where you get a quality bidder who's going to provide a quality service uh, at, at a scenario that actually is benefiting the residents. Because we, we wrote into the lease a, a rate regime that was, quite honestly, better than what we, we currently had. If you looked at our rates over the course of the last 50 years, as we did, like a lot of cities, they were up and down. You know, some years they were two, four, five, zero. One year it was 20%, you know, increase. But if you averaged out, it came out to about a 5.7% increase per year that we were seeing that the average rate pair was seeing uh, from water and sewer. What we built into the lease was that there would be an automatic 2.5% increase on a year-to-year -year basis uh, plus the urban CPI. Now, the urban CPI over the last decade, the worst has been has, you know, has actually last two decades, has been about 2%. Uh, and so if you add those together, it's 4.5% versus 5.7%, which we are seeing, you know, on an annual basis. So it actually worked out better for the rate payers uh, going forward. Uh, and um, we structured it so that as we get out to year 20 and beyond, uh, it drops down to 2%, and then the extra 0.5% goes into the sinking fund to pay for additional uh, upkeep and extra costs of the system as it ages. So we, we, we built in scenarios to, to make sure that the system uh, is always going to be in, in good shape and, and operable and uh, will be a valuable asset. When it's handed back over, I'll probably be dead in 50 years, but, you know, my my kids or grandkids could do it all over again. Sure. <laughs> now. Yeah. And so so the city gave up rate control, but they, they have this and that's a guaranteed rate mechanism. The rates can't go up. That's a guaranteed that's a guaranteed rate mechanism. Okay. So because they had to make a profit and there had to be cost increases. And there have been cost increases if you look at what we've done over the last fifty years, okay? But those cost increases were, were dictated many times by by the political landscape, right? Some years you didn't want to have to raise rates, you didn't have a council that was that was willing to, to raise the rates, even though maybe they should have, they made it zero. Other years, it went up to five, seven, nine, ten, two, four. You know, it was all over the board. Uh, as you looked over the course of, of, of the last several decades, uh, year to year to year, uh, this way it was consistent. Uh, it was it was something that every single bidder said was was necessary for them to be able to uh, look at and project, you know, profit margins and their costs going forward. Um, but it, for us, it also was a stabilizing effect. You know, it took that aspect, you know, out of politics 
put it into the realm of a contractual agreement, which I think will is not will, but is beneficial uh, for our ratepayers uh, and more beneficial and gives them more stability in predicting rates uh, from year to year to year to come. Okay. In the future. And, and yeah, and this agreement. So all the, all the capital and all the maintenance is built in. I'm I assume. I, yes. Yes, it's built into that rate. Okay. We figured that you know, I, and and one of the things that I, that I should point out is that you know we had a good system. A lot of cities are looking at P3s because they haven't done, they you know they they've had a lot of deferred maintenance, right? And so their systems were, were really antiquated and needed improvement. That was not the case for us. Uh, the, the city of Allentown was fairly diligent in continuing to to put money into the system year after year. And though we had some repairs that needed to be done, um, for the most part, we, you know, we had a pretty good system. So when bidders came in, they, they looked at the system and said, hey, you know what, there, there's not a lot of hidden deferred maintenance costs here. Uh, we know what our costs are. We can see what the cost of operations are. Uh, we can see what the potential cost, uh, uh, you, know, you know, revenue stream is. Uh, and it gave them a sense of predictability uh, going forward that, you know, they can build in to their financial models, which I think got us much better bids uh, as a result of, uh, of, of, you know, having that, uh, you know, well-run operation in the past. So it wasn't a sense that this, uh, that this particular, you know, aspect of the city's operation was, was not well-run. It wasn't that, you know, we were deferring maintenance costs. It was a well-run operation. We were truly looking at it as a way to monetize the asset that we had to bring in the revenue to basically eliminate the thing that was literally financially killing us as a city. Sure. And and so did the, does the P3 cover both water and sewer, or was it just the water utility? Water and sewer. Water and water sewer. And sewer. Well, I'm curious about environmental risk. There's a lot of talk about new treatment standards uh, through the Safe Drinking Water Act and the Clean Water Act. Uh, so is is the county now on the hook for that environmental risk? Are there openers in the event that some new regulation comes out uh, that dramatically increases uh, the cost of environmental compliance? No, they're, they're on the hook for that, but we, 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 we anticipated that. So one of the things is that we put into place also that was attached to the lease. And we did it simultaneously. And I oftentimes forget about it when I'm telling the story. But there was, an, there was an operations standards manual that was put into place. And so we wanted to make sure that the operator that came into play uh, and, and took over this lease would operate this system at or better than we were, when we were operating it in the past. And so... We, we had a very, very detailed operation standards manual that we spent a pretty significant amount of time on uh, developing, looking at every aspect of the operation, uh, also looking at covenants and liabilities that, that to address the very issue that you're talking about, you know, environmental changes that would happen in, in the future. So one of the things as a result of the lease that we had put in place as a city um, was to fund a compliance department. So we have several staff now. I think there's three in this compliance department that their sole job is to to monitor um, uh, the aspects of the lease for compliance uh, and make sure that the the quality and performance and decisions that they're making with respect to new regulations coming out either from the state Department of Environmental Protection or the the EPA are in accordance with what the city would like to do. So any major improvements that would have to be done 
uh, as a result of, of new you know, regulations that came out, but have to be voted on by the city. Um, and we there the ability to to charge an extra fee if that if that happened because I mean you know it's you know there's lots of regulations that the EPA puts out uh, whether it's you know retention ponds or <laughs> whatever else they may they may come up with on any given day uh, to affect the, the the way that our system operates um, and so we wanted to make sure that we had a had, had a contingency in there that would be separate on the, on, on the ratepayers bill. Uh, and as soon as it was paid off, it would it would disappear. So that would it would not be built into the rate, if you, if you can follow what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, that makes uh, sense. It would be it would be a separate scenario, uh, but it would have to be approved by the city uh, first uh, before any work was done. And so there was this negotiating um, language uh, that was put into the contract uh, specifically to, to guide instances where regulatory changes would affect the potential. You know, outcome of, of how the, the plant was run. Okay. And if there was capital improvement that they had to put into place, you know, they would have to be negotiated with the, the potential, you know, we uh, see about, you know, how those, um, uh, you know, remedies would, would actually be implied uh, to make sure that, you know, they weren't taking the most expensive route, but they were taking the route that would solve the problem, but would still, you know, maintain the quality that, that we'd expected uh, within the system. Sure, and and so does the city maintain? I don't know if that answered your question or not. It's a bit, <laughs> that gets a little complicated when you tell you. Well, there, there is there's 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 three hundred pages of language to to address the issue that you're. Yeah, yeah, I I, I completely understand. Right yeah, I completely understand that, and uh, I th I think you gave a good explanation of it. Um, so does the city maintain an engineering staff that kind of you know for purposes of reviewing that or do you outsource that or, or what what type of oversight do you maintain over uh over the county's operation of the water and sewer assets uh as i said we have this compliance department uh and we do have our own engineering staff okay and so uh there there's uh, some engineers from our engineering staff that are assigned to the compliance department there's also uh three technicians uh there's a lab technician and there's uh two other folks that that actually work in our department uh, as 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 operations managers, which we then retained with the city uh, to head up this compliance division. So their goal is to to look at that compliance manual, look at the contract, make sure that the uh, leasee is in compliance with the, with the standards and uh, the parameters that we set down in that lease. Um, and that's a, that really is a full time job. And if they're not in compliance, there's there's penalties uh, and fines that could be levied. Uh, against um, uh, the leasee uh, as a result of not being in compliance. Uh, there's remedies that could be taken as far as, you know, um, arbitration if we had to, uh, if we didn't agree on a particular aspect of the lease. So far, it's, it's been a pretty good relationship. Uh, we think it's been to the benefit of, of both entities. And uh, even though there's a stance that we don't agree, we're, we're able to, to work through those, and mainly through just, the average day-to-day, -day, you know, contact with the compliance department. Uh, most of those issues are resolved. Okay. Um, and so how does this look to the customer? Is Are the bills being sent by Allentown still, or is is it the county as the concessionaire that's sending the bills? The, the county authority now controls all the bills. So there was a period of time when we switched over. Um, and But, the, you know, the, the to, to the average customer, it's seamless. You know, it was funny because – 
I had a, a, another reporter in my in my office the other day talking about the story, and I took him into the uh, the bathroom in my office. And I'm sure he was wondering why my the mayor taking me into the bathroom, you know. And I flushed the toilet and I turned on the water. <laughs> the toilet's still flushing, the water still runs, and nothing has changed. Um, so for the average customer, I think it's been a seamless transition. You know, I mean, they, they really haven't seen much difference except that the letterhead on the, and the masthead on their bill has changed. Um, but the way that the, that the lease is structured, uh, there is no rate increase for the first three years. Uh, and what the, the authority is telling me at this point is that they will actually probably lower rates um, uh, due to some efficiency that they've, they've been able to build into the system uh, when the first, you know, um, uh, 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 when that three-year period runs out. Hmm. Uh, and you mentioned a revenue so, sharing. So the residents will probably see an actual decrease in their rate yeah, that, as a result of it. Well, that's that's good news for those folks. Uh, you don't see <laughs> right, especially in, especially in the water wastewater industry. Uh, so, and, and, and the good news is, is that no one lost a job in this scenario. Um, there was lots of contention among the workforce that somehow, you know, they'd be shortchanged uh, through this transaction. That was not the case. If you talk to the workers that are there now, they're, they're happy, you know, as can be. Uh, you know, they're, they're focused on their job. They're, you know, in many cases, they we've removed that whole aspect from, you know, the political realm. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's an operation that, uh, uh, they're happy to be part of. So I, I think, and, and you know, for, from our standpoint, we did something that a lot of municipalities across the country are trying to do, which is regionalize the system. So we were able to increase efficiencies in, in, in that area uh, and, and in that way. So we've accomplished, you know, many aspects uh, of, of some long-range, you know, planning that we've, we've wanted to do here for many, many years. Through this lease, not only did it help us financially, it created a regional entity, it lowered our operational costs uh, overall, and it's providing a better quality of service uh, to not only the Allentown residents, but residents of the entire region. Sure. And, and uh, you mentioned a revenue sharing mechanism earlier where, you know, the city is going to get a share of the revenue from the growth. What, what does that mechanism right. look like? If there's new customers that come into play, uh, so we, we've, we're in a very high growth area here in the Lehigh Valley. Uh, Allentown is surrounded by Interstate 22 and Interstate 78 and the Pennsylvania Turnpike, and we're right next to the New Jersey border. So we're only an hour and 10 minutes uh, from New York. Uh, we have a lot of uh, um, industry that's moving into this area, and quite honestly, a lot of bottling companies, uh, Ocean Spray decided to move their whole bottling facility from New Jersey up into uh, the Allentown area. San Adams has their, their whole brewing facility here in the Allentown area. Of course, uh, and, and Nestle uh, Bottling uh, had, had built uh, several million square feet facility right outside the city of Allentown. Um, and all those utilized significant amounts of water. So as these new customers were coming in, in the past, we really didn't get any benefit from that. I mean, we, we would sell uh, on a wholesale level to the, the county authority, who would then obviously make the profit by selling it to these, to these potential end users. This way, um, 
those agreements are null and void. Any new sales on top of whatever the baseline was, we looked at what the level of water production we were looking we were, we were we had on a daily basis, and we we looked at that for a period of several years to set sort of the baseline. So we created a baseline within the contract. Anything sold above that baseline, we get to keep 50% of the profits that they make uh, on the water sale. Then our compliance department looks at that vigorously to make sure that uh, we're getting every penny that, 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 that we should be getting uh, as a result of, of that arrangement and lease. Okay, terrific. Well, uh, one final question. Um, as as the end of the lease term draws near, I mean, what do you, do you have any sense of, of what that's going to look like in terms of uh, how the how the transition back to the city is going to go, or do you envision another P three? Or you mentioned the regionalism concept. I mean, is that just is it going to continue just to grow together and and be this regional utility? Well, I mean, they have to return the system in as good a shape or or better. Okay, that's sure. how it's actually worded in the contract. Okay, how that will happen, I you know. Um, will remain to be seen at this point in time. But the way that the country, you know, I mean, I'll be dead, I'm sure, 50 years, um, or really, really old. Um, and But, but you know, I, the way that the contract sort of anticipates this happening is that, you know, the assets will be, will be as we were able to transfer the assets to the authority, we'll be able to transfer those assets back to the city. Uh, and then the city could, we could either decide to go off and bid again or just bid directly with the, with the current uh, leasee, um, you know, for additional years. It, it, it really will be up to that city council and, and mayor at that point to determine what the best course is for the city. But potentially they could, you know, reap another several hundred million dollar benefit in the future um, as a result of uh, doing another lease. Okay. Terrific. Well, Mayor, I really want to thank you for so, your time. So it keeps, us, it keeps us, you know, owning the assets. It eliminated our liability. We didn't lose any jobs, uh, and it created a scenario where we were able to pay off our pension debt and bring our city back to solvency. And uh, I think it was we were probably the first P3, if not the only P3 in Pennsylvania that, that's ever actually been executed. Okay. Well, it certainly is a great story that you've, you've been able to uh, – to, to really turn around the city and, and get things pointed in the right direction, especially, you know, from the scenario you were describing back in 2006. Um, could you just tell us, for those folks who want to find out a little more about you, Allentown, and this unique arrangement, uh, is there any place folks can go to find out more information about that? Sure. You can go to our city website. It's allentownpa.gov. Uh, you can click on uh, uh, an icon there that will talk about our whole water and sewer lease. And there's all kinds of information there. In fact, I think up in, I don't know if we still have it on the website, but we used to have the whole lease there uh, for people to, uh, to, to view. So, we, you know, that was one aspect we didn't talk about, the whole public process. But there was a pretty extensive public process that we had to have people comment on this uh, that lasted almost six months that, that gave – ample opportunity for the general public to really have an input into this process. And they did. Um, but I think all those documents are up there, allentownpa.gov. Uh, and uh, if not, just look in our search engine and type in water lease. And it will bring up a plethora of, of information uh, on this process and what we were able to do to accomplish this transaction. Terrific. Well, again, Mayor, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time and uh, best of luck in the future. We'll talk to you soon. Well, thank you so much. You bet. Bye.
I hope you like that conversation with Allentown, Pennsylvania Mayor Ed Pawlowski. He was very generous with his time and was a treat to speak with. Uh, we also had a great conversation off the record after the interview was done about some of the other aspects of the P3 Allentown entered into. Just fascinating stuff. Um, well, a few takeaways. First, I wanted to point out that the mayor made explicit reference to the fact that Allentown was able to enter into this P3 because it had a well-run utility. Allentown didn't defer maintenance, and the system was in good shape. It just goes to show you, if you invest in your utilities, you will get paid back. Whether that's through a P3 arrangement like Allentown entered into, or whether it's just you know, lack of service interruptions and the, the ability uh, to attract businesses to your community because you've invested in the infrastructure that will support those businesses. Uh, my next takeaway is the oversight issue. I think Allentown is doing this right. By having a compliance department and an engineering team oversee the P3, it's at least set up correctly in my view. Uh, this is such an important point that far too many governments, when they think of P3s, they think of simply turning over the asset, getting the money, and not worrying about it anymore. And that's a recipe for disaster in my book. I've seen P3s where the government entity simply turns over the keys and then wonders why the agreement didn't yield the results it expected. The private operator, too, should welcome the oversight because in the long run, that will yield a better chance for a successful contract, and that could mean future business for that private operator as well. The final takeaway that I'll discuss is the automatic rate increase built into the Allentown P3. Uh, I'm pretty sure that wouldn't work in every jurisdiction, but it's an interesting concept, and I like the idea of using an index for rate increases and an index that accurately tracks the costs incurred by water and wastewater utilities for their services would be ideal. If you know of such an index, and I've looked for one, uh, I'd love to hear about it because I've seen uh, stabs at types of indexes that, that attempt to do it, but I don't think they actually uh, are a really good mirror of, of the costs incurred by utilities to render service. Um, but I'd love to hear about that index if, if you are aware of one. Well, that wraps it up. Please remember to join the Water Values mailing list or comment on the podcast episodes at thewatervalues.com. You can also find the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 44. You can tweet at me at DTM1993 or tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. Thanks again for your listenership and have a great 2015. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. 
Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.